All right, Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. We are moving forward to Israel's eighth judge, Jephthah. And when we get to Judges chapter 11, I want you to know that between verse or chapter 3 that we were at last week and chapter 11 this week, it's the same song, different verse. People rebel, the righteous anger of God comes, oppression by an enemy, people cry out, God raises up a rescuer, and there's peace until the judge dies. And this is the same song, different verse. I want you to understand the book of Judges. What it is teaching us is that no man will do what God can do by sending his son Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the judge of all judges. No man's answer is going to do what God is providing a solution for. And so in Judges chapter 11, it features this next raised up rescuer named Jephthah. And the Bible says that he was a great warrior. But like other judges and other heroes that you see in the scripture, God raised him up when people would have turned him down. Jephthah's not the guy that you would have thought to be the guy that God was raising up to be a great warrior for his people. Now, chapter 11, verse 1 says that he was a great warrior in one sentence, but in the next sentence it says that he was a son of a prostitute. His father stepped out on his mother, and they had a child with a mistress, and when his half-brothers, who belonged to his father's wife, grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. No inheritance to speak of, no family really even to speak of. He was cast out by his own family. He took refuge in an unfamiliar place, the Bible teaches. But when he did, according to verse 3, at least he had a worthless band of rebels following him. That really is what the scripture says, that he had a band of worthless rebels following him. Now, my study teaches me that these worthless rebels that the Bible speaks of were those who literally were without privilege. They were from unsettled backgrounds, very much like Jephthah himself. They looked out for themselves, and they, they raided other settlements that were enemies of God's people. And these were men who did not have a high moral code because they went through a lot of adversity in their life growing up. On the outside looking in, a dignified leader would have likely said that he's a leader of bandits. This guy is a leader of bandits. He's going to be the leader over God's people, to which God would say, yeah, but he's a leader. When the world sees an outcast, God sees an opportunity. God can use you for something great. And maybe you ask yourself, or maybe you even doubt and don't even ask the question that God could, could do something great with you. Of course he can do something great with you. He's God. Yeah, but I'm at a disadvantage. Or I have a disability. Or I have a history. Or I've got a weakness. Yes, but the question before us was, can God use you for something great? Well, God can do anything that he wants to do. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Absolutely not. And the people of Israel didn't need a CEO. They needed a warrior leader. Verses 4 through 6, at about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead, which by the way, were likely to be his brothers, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Amorites. Normally, a guy like this, a guy like Jephthah, need not apply because the search committee could not call any of his references because he wouldn't have any. But the people of God needed a warrior. 
and they needed a leader. And though the very people who called him and cast him were the people that cast him out, God was raising up this man for his glory. So what you'll see today as we study through chapter 11 is a warrior that is with and without. And what we just looked at is a warrior that is without a pedigree. If you don't think your resume is as good as it should be or as good as somebody else's, don't worry about that. Just trust in God. Because when God, when people see an outcast, God sees an opportunity. The second thing you see is a warrior with faith. Jephthah may have been an outcast. He may have been rough around the edges and a leader in need of some development. But who among us does not need some development? But with all of those things stacked against him, he was a, a man that believed in God, simply and serious. When he approached about the, the elders about leading God's people in battle and becoming their leader, he replied in chapter 11, verse 9, If I come with you, and if the Lord give me victory, now notice that part, if I come with you, not and if I sign the contract, or if I come with you and I get this thing done, he says, if I come with you and if the Lord give me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler of all the people? Later, he went with the elders before the people, and the Bible says that in the presence of the Lord, in chapter 11, verse 11, in the presence of the Lord, Jephthah repeated what he had just said to the elders, in the presence of the Lord, if the Lord give me victory, then I would be the leader. You see, in the presence of the Lord means that there was a prayer meeting, and it both the witness of God. And then when he sent word to the Ammonite king, he said as they were going back and forth on whose land it belonged to, he said, by faith, or he said in chapter 11, verse 23, so you see it was the Lord, the God of Israel, who took away the land from the Amorites and gave it to Israel. Why then should we give it back to you? It may seem that Jephthah was a rogue leader, but his dealings would suggest a belief and a respect for the Lord God and God used him. In fact, believe it or not, Jephthah, and, you, and I say believe it or believe it or not because we had not got to the good part of this story yet. Jephthah was actually in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. This warrior, son of a prostitute, cast out by his own family, leading a band of rebels, not fully developed. This man was in the Hebrews Hall of Fame. In chapter 11, in verses 32, 33, 34, it speaks of how his name is mentioned and it says, By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. God raised up a rescuer for his people by the will of God. Let me say this. Christian leaders don't have to fit into your expectations. They must fit within God's expectations. And one of the prerequisites of a Christian leader is to believe Simply and seriously, that God is who he says he is, he will do what he says he will do, and to trust in what he has done and that his will and his way is pleasing and perfect. Some of us would think if we were sitting beside Jephthah here this morning, we may not come back. I even heard a pastor say last week as he was studying this for, for the sake of, uh, of transparency, he was connecting with the audience, and he said this, and he was, he was meaning it to be serious, but also meaning it to show sometimes how our heart can be. He said, if it were up to me and I had a vote, I don't know that Jephthah would be in the Faith Hall of Fame. But when God has an opportunity, people see, sometimes see an outcast. God is the one who qualifies people. 
God is the one who cleans people. God is the one who calls people. God is the one who develops people. And despite Jephthah's background and even his level of maturity, which we're going to see full well in just a moment, God used him because he exhibited faith. And so God raised him, he gave him his spirit, and he employed him to his service. And then we see that Jephthah is a warrior with power. Look at chapter 11, verse 29. While he is without pedigree, he's with faith, and he also is with the power of God. Verse 29 says, At that time the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Before we get to that vow, I want you to notice in verse 29 that the Spirit of God came upon Jephthah. Now, when you read the Judges, certain Judges were said to have had the Spirit of the Lord come upon them. There was Othniel that we talked about last week. There's Gideon and Samson that you probably recognize their names. And here you've got Jephthah. Specifically, the Spirit of the Lord was temporarily given to these leaders in the Old Testament for a specific task. It had to do with freeing, physically freeing God's people from oppression. This was a unique act of God to put his spirit on a man. It would infer power and give wisdom and might for victory. This is known in theological teaching as selective indwelling. That God would select by according to his will, he would select a man, a leader, or a woman to put his spirit on them to lead physically in battle. The Spirit of the Lord was given temporarily for these tasks. It was a unique act of God. This selective indwelling, again, is attached to God's Spirit's work in the Old Testament. And not directly, notice this as well, it's not directly connected with the repentance of sin or spiritual condition. It is connected to physical activity. So this Old Testament indwelling was not because of one's relationship to God, but so that God could empower leaders to accomplish his will, to do a great work, to keep his people going on the earth, leading all the way to the blessing that would be to the world who is in the form of Jesus. In the New Testament, now this is discipleship, so pay attention. In the New Testament, in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, Jesus was speaking to the disciples, and in effect, all who live and believe in Jesus. Jesus was speaking to all of us today who would follow him. John chapter 14, teaching us that the Father will give us, he will gift us the Holy Spirit upon repentance and faith. When we turn from our sin and we turn to God and we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. God, he gifts us his indwelling presence, the indwelling presence of God who will never leave us and who will guide us into all truth. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit of God would be in us. Church, we need to wake up sometimes and realize who in the world we are. That God's Spirit fills the life of one who has turned from sin and turned to God. This is different than what you see in Judges chapter 11. In the New Testament church, there is not selective indwelling for a few believers. There is permanent indwelling for all believers. God's Spirit is on the inside of us for those who believe, working to give us the power of God. And at the moment of conversion, when a child or when a senior adult and everybody in between, at the moment of conversion where there is acknowledgement of sin, 
there's a confessing of sin. There's a believing in Jesus that he is the way of God and the way to live. When there is that turning from sin and turning to God, God gives us his presence. And his presence means that we are empowered. Not for a physical victory to go out and fight for the land, but for spiritual warfare and for a faithful witness to the truth that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he alone is the way to live and die and experience life eternal. When we think of witnessing, we often think of witnessing as we think of ourselves alone. There's no way that I could do that. What if I told you God was on the inside of you? I have this moment every week when I think I'm about to stand up and talk before hundreds of people. What if I told you God was on the inside of you? Just get up there and open your mouth and let me do the rest. God has taught me that many times over. This is discipleship teaching. Your living Christianity does not amount to just a decision or a declaration. When begin, what began with faith and repentance is now an indwelling and God's spirit is on the inside of us giving you another road to follow. Now, he don't make you go down that road for God is a gentleman, but he gives you an alternate route. Some of us learn the hard way when it comes to GPS. Oh, this says it's the better way, but I know a shortcut. <laughs> right? This is the day of preaching to fathers today, isn't it? I'll just take this turn right here because I know this probably won't be on the map, but I'll go this way. When all of the research says, don't go that way. And, and truly in Judges, the whole theme of it is that the people did right in their own eyes. And God's Spirit is on the inside of us, not making us do what we ought to do, but giving us an alternate route that is the way of God. And when we choose to do that with God's Spirit leading us, then God gets the glory because it works against what we would have chosen to begin with. Now, I want you to read with me chapter 11, verses 30 through 40. Let's read this together. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, listen to this part, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Let me read that one, just one more time. He made a vow to the Lord. If you give me victory, I'll give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me. When I return in triumph, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Verse 32. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aror to an area near Mineth and as far away as Abel Karamim. And in this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. Look at verse 34. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You have brought disaster on me, for I made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. 
Let me go up and roam in the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said. And he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made. She died a virgin. And so it became a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. Lord, would you please give us understanding? And Father, before I say a word, may your spirit comfort us or challenge us with the truth that we have just read and heard. God, you are the one who guides us into all truth. So Lord, if the takeaway is something that you want to give us apart from my mouth, Lord, I pray that you would solidify that in our heart in this moment. And speak to us, Lord, the rest of the way in Jesus' name. Amen. After we read this, this was the thought I had this week. After I read this passage over and over, it occurs to me that this is why the ladies in this place are like, see, dads, that's why he challenges y'all on Father's Day. You bunch of bums, you made a promise. <laughs> he made a promise before God that had everything to do with yourself and had nothing to do with your daughter. That was supposed to be funny, but I realized that after reading this, how heavy it is. <laughs> Jephthah the faithful, and now Jephthah the foolish, a warrior with and without. The Lord gave him victory, and the Lord allowed him loss. He is a warrior without consideration. He is also a warrior without caution. Vows were permissible for sure. The opening books of the Bible gave guidance towards what one should do when they make vows. For example, in Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, this is what the Lord commanded. A man who makes a vow to the Lord, who makes a pledge under oath, must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Deuteronomy chapter 23 basically says the same thing. But it also says in verse 22, however, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. So a vow to the Lord could be made... Or not made. But if it was made, it had to be kept. It had to be kept. Why? Because God is not all grace. God is grace and truth out of his holy character. A vow is a promise. A vow is a statement of assurance that if I undertake this, I will do this. You can stake my claim on it. God requires faithfulness of us because we belong to God. We represent God. We reflect his character. Therefore, it was required of you, if you made a vow, that you don't break a vow. Because if you break a vow, it misrepresents who you belong to. And it communicates that you misunderstand who you belong to in the first place. If Jephthah makes his promise to God and then bails out and treats it as irrelevant, he has a misunderstanding of God's holiness. Have you ever told the Lord that you'd do something? Have you ever told the Lord that you'd quit something? Have you ever told the Lord that you'd stop something? Yeah, I understand. I can even understand by the weight of the room. Before we judge Jephthah, I will say this as we are thinking, what an awful character of the Scripture. Before we judge him, at least he went through with it. A vow to the Lord was not always with good, without good intention. Hannah, for example... Hannah desired a child for, in her heart with all her heart. And she vowed to God that if he would bless her with a son, the scripture says, she said in prayer, she would give him back to God. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. 
And God granted her request. And at the appropriate time, if you remember reading that in 1 Samuel, she brought him to the tabernacle for lifelong service before God. And he went on to become a wonderful leader of God's people. So not all vows are without good intention. And not all vows were without completion. So vows or promises to God were not always questionable. And Jephthah's may have actually had some honor. But to offer whatever walks out of your house as a burnt offering is thoughtless. It is reckless. It is immature at best. And maybe you're thinking, how about just don't make a vow? How about just don't make one and you're good? Well, I don't think you're husband or your wife would be fine with that, right? I don't think your spouse in the wedding ceremony, uh, when, when, it, when the pastor's standing before you and one of the spouses said, I do, and repeated all of the commands of the covenant or all of the conditions of the covenant, I don't think the other one would have been like, no, nah, I'm just going to let my yes be yes, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Biblical. Yeah, I don't think your spouse would have been okay with that. They also want the vow. And so again, sometimes, and you even see this in the scripture, these promises of devotion are appropriate. They're necessary. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus did teach, he says, but I say, do not make any vows. Now, he wasn't talking about marriage. He wasn't talking about giving testimony in court. He was speaking of carelessly professing promises in everyday life. Because whatever you make an oath on, and this is good, and I didn't come up with it, but I learned it. Whatever you make an oath on, you draw God in because God created it all. So when you say things like, I swear on my life, you mean the life that God gave you? So when you say things like, I swear on my life, you are bringing God into your swear, into your oath, into your vow, because God gave you that life. I, well, that's fine. I swear on my grandmother's life. Well, how low do you value your grandmother? And did God not give her the same life that he gave unto you? The life God gives. You swear by that? You, you are offering it up that carelessly, knowing that you're not going to do it anyway? You see, these statements have no intention of follow-through that we make. And it's best not to say them at all, because vows are not to be made when it puts somebody's life and image-bearer of God on the line. Or when it puts somebody's future at risk. God, if you'll do this, I'll mess with their situation and give them over to you to do this. And I say life or future because there are two schools of thought when it comes to this vow. Some very credible scholars conclude that Jephthah's daughter was literally put to death. She died. Verse 31 says, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So there are some very credible scholars out there that accept this truth that he fulfilled his vow. And she, by the way, she also needs to be very, very uh, honored in this scripture and her response to what happened and her response to somebody else's choice and her faith in God to trust to go through with it. Don't miss that part. But I say life or future because, again, some actually believe that she lost her life. Other very credible scholars conclude that Jephthah was not put to death, but she was confined to service in the tabernacle, much like Samuel. This conclusion is relative to her surprisingly calm reaction, if you notice that in the Scripture. And it says, 
When Jephthah returned home, his daughter came out to meet him. She was his one and only child. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. And then you go down to verse 36, and she says, Father, if you've made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed, for the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. Well, that seems kind of reserved. And so this is why a lot of scholars, because of her response, don't think that it was a, a vow that completed unto death, but one that would be service in the tabernacle. Even verse 39 says that she died a virgin, and the emphasis seems to focus on the detail that she would not have children rather than she would die as a burnt offering. It kept bringing that up, like that is what she was facing. She would be dedicated to the tabernacle. She would be dedicated to the Lord. Therefore, she would not be a wife and a mother. There are other factors like this. Levitical law only permitted sacrifices at the tabernacle. So he would have had to have taken her to a tabernacle for a priest to be the intermediary and to offer from the priest to God a living sacrifice. And if he brought the daughter there to be sacrificed, any priest worth his salt would have been like, dude, first of all, this is wrong. And second of all, you don't have to do this. And I say that because... There were also provisions in the scripture for where they could make a payment to get out of a vow. This was their provision. We'll look at that in just a second. Regardless, the life and the future of his innocent daughter was abruptly ended or selfishly disrupted because her father was inconsiderate of his own family because of the overattention given to his personal mission. I point out selfishly is that word that I use because notice the dad's response. Notice Jephthah's response. He says, you have completely destroyed me. Well, bless your heart. She, on the other hand, is also struggling. He says, you've brought disaster on me. Now, was this because the daughter would face death? Did he say this because... She would face a life that she didn't choose? Or was it because maybe he would never have the possibility to give an inheritance to a grandchild? See how selfish that is? Y'all, we can get there real quick, can't we? We are selfish folks, man. Thank God for his forgiveness because I am chief among all when it comes to that. Men and fathers, this is a good place to say our role as fathers is irreplaceable. If Jephthah went down, God would have raised up another rescuer. For me, I could go down tomorrow. If I went down tomorrow, God would call another pastor to lead this church the next day. He would already be working in the heart of someone else. But at home, at home, I am my wife's husband. At home, to Davis and Noel, I am their father. And so it is my expectation from God, it was designed for me to be that without any thought of a next in line. Are you hearing me? We are irreplaceable. Because of this, let me share with you what God taught me this week. Personal mission must be a relational one rather than a professional one, men. Personal mission must be a relational one rather than a professional one. It's difficult sometimes for us to understand that. I was at a, a ceremony the other night where many people were receiving an award of honor. It was relative to, to sports and accolades. And, and each one that got up to receive that honor began to say thank you. And not one of them began to thank anybody for the grind. They didn't thank anybody for the ball. They didn't thank anybody for the trophy. They didn't thank for the creation of the game. 
they think they're family and God to start with. The relationships. That was what's most important in a time of even honoring them. They begin to acknowledge the ones that, that supported the personal mission because the personal mission dies at some point. The personal mission is over at some point. And when it does, people just keep coming right up after you. So again, personal mission must be a relational one rather than a professional one. What I'm saying to you today is Jephthah wanted to win. He wanted to win. It's why he called on God. That's why he said, about if you give me victory, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I'll give the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. That sounds like an emotional speech, doesn't it? An emotional prayer. God, if you do this, I'll admit, I have found myself coaching Little league ball at times to where I'm coaching third or first base like this. It's a critical point of the game. And I'm over here at first base going, Lord, if you would please help this kid's bat to meet this ball. <laughs> Straight up. Some of you may be shaking your head. And most of you are going, I've done it too, brother. <laughs> Lord, this kid is over the century with a few foul tips. If you would please allow his bat to connect with this ball. We'll give you all the glory and praise after it's over. <laughs> well, what is that? We want to win. We want the glory. And this is what Jephthah wanted. That desire for us to win is not bad. It's, it's, not, it's often just misdirected. And like everything else, it has to be tempered by God's values and according to God's will. When Jesus was, was praying before his crucifixion, God, if you would take this, this cup of suffering from me, but not my will, but thine be done. See, that, that tag is important because it is subject to a higher authority. We should be honest with God. We should pray for the things that are on our heart and in our cares. But we subject ourselves to God's will and we temper our prayer requests by God's values. Praying is not bargaining. Yes, we should let our requests be known with honesty, but also with the example of Jesus, but thy will be done. And Jephthah was inconsiderate of his family because of his mission. And he was inconsiderate of the Lord and how he approached his prayers. He didn't have to, sometimes we look at this and we think, what was God doing? What was God doing? What was Jephthah doing? Wearsby asked the question in his commentary, he says, what, is the, what if the first thing that came out of his house was an unclean animal that was unsuitable for sacrifice. Now he's messed up again. Even in a lesser sacrifice. And if he did mean a person, let's just say a servant came out of the house of Jephthah, what right did he have to put a living being on the altar before the Lord? None. How selfish are we to think that we are that important? This speaks to ignorance on fire. Take this note. Take this note. This is a good note. He needed God to win, but he didn't study God to live. He needed God to win, but didn't study God to live. Jephthah wanted to win, but what he needed was to learn. To learn. The culture around you, the culture around Jephthah, provided for sacrifice. All the other cultures that surrounded Israel provided for child, for human sacrifice. But my word, man, this is not the character of your God. But he obviously didn't know that. 
He had not learned that. He was not listening to the Lord. He was not trying. He was focused on the wind. Listen, Christians, God's word and his spirit guide our practice. Not your political leaning, not what your grandmama and granddaddy taught you, not what your denomination teaches you. God's spirit and his word work together to guide our Christian practice. Christian, when we blend our faith with the culture, we end up doing things like Jephthah and sacrificing what is sacred for what is allowed in our culture. Oh my goodness, now I'm fired up. I read an article yesterday that featured, listen to this. And this is culture and lost people are lost and act lost. But I read an article yesterday that featured fathers giving credit to past abortions that allowed them to be the fathers they are today. Multiple men who expressed that their family lives wouldn't have worked out as well if it weren't for an abortion they had earlier in their lives. One even said his family would not have been able to make room for a third child. Couldn't imagine how they would have fit the pieces together, he said. Well, I'm glad it worked out for you. I sure am glad it worked out for you, my goodness. We wouldn't want you to have to make an adjustment now, would we? Listen, again, lost people do lost things. We don't need to expect lost people to act saved. And listen to me clearly, because we're preaching to the church. There is forgiveness of sins for all sin before God. Point blank, period. There is forgiveness. I'm going to say it one more time. Even the sin we just preached toward, there is much grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And that may not be yours or my sin, but we've got it, a long list of it, just like anybody else does. And God's blood was shed for the sins of people, by name and across the board. So saved people, listen up. Saved folks, listen up. When you have a decision that is before you that is right in God's eyes, but that will interrupt the plans that you've made, you are not free to decide for yourselves if you belong to the Lord in that moment and in that decision. Learn the Lord your God. If you make a decision that results in outcome, the right thing to do is is not try to make the outcome go away. The right thing to do is to take responsibility and trust the Lord moving forward. My goodness, the world is putting a positive spin on the willful termination of human life. Church, that we would not be a part of that. Know God's will and follow God's spirit and his word. Speaking of, one commentary I said said this, read said this, the Holy Spirit does not overwhelm us. The Holy Spirit does not control us. He guides us. And that guidance can be resisted or ignored at smaller or greater points. Apparently, Jephthah knew some of Israel's history, but he didn't know Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He knew some of the history of how God had created victory, but he didn't know that the Scripture taught that sacrifice of a child, sacrifice of of anybody to another God or to our God, what that is is to bring shame, not glory on God, and God ain't going to take that. So that's what other cultures do, not what God does. It's a detestable act that the Lord hates, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31 says. He also should have known that a vow could be redeemed by payment of a proper amount of money, as we talked about earlier. Again, God allowed for people to pay money 
to reduce or take that vow. And now see, if you want to put a worldly spin on that, you'll be like, well, that's just greedy of God. Y'all, that ain't greedy, that's grace. That's God's grace letting you get out of something stupid you created for yourself. See, he, he wanted to win and he needed to learn. God can take the outcast to provide some divine outcomes. I remember hearing early on when God was calling me into leadership, somebody testified to a young man that had been saved. A young man very much like Jephthah that, that was involved in a rough crowd, a rough upbringing, rough around the edges, didn't know a whole lot other than he had sinned and he needed to be forgiven of it. And they were sitting in a circle one night and they asked this young man to pray and he began to pray and then he began to cuss the devil during his prayer. And I'm not talking about uncle cussing. I'm talking about like to heck with the devil. That's not the kind of not the kind of prayer we're talking about. We're talking about he was getting after it with all kinds of words to which the people around him were like, hold up, brother. Hold up right there. Because we don't want to pray and let blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. But what was it? It was a guy that was rough around the edges that was to a disadvantage in his upbringing that God saved, and he wanted to win, but he needed to learn. Men, how about this challenge on Father's Day? Lead your families to learn the Lord your God. Lead your families to know what they believe, why they believe it. How much are we teaching them about ball? And how much are we teaching them about politics? And how much are we teaching them about things that are found in books in our schools? And we abandon the teaching of the Lord. And we drop them off at a place where we think other people ought to teach them. Fathers, lead your families. To know the Lord your God. And mamas stand in the gap until they do. Amen? The takeaway that I give you today is this. We need the Lord in every area of our life. To be a warrior and a father. Not one or the other, but both. Jephthah was called out as a leader, but he needed to grow up as a father and as a follower. And if there was anything great to speak of in this passage, it was his faithfulness in one hand to God and God's faithfulness to his will. But if there was anything regrettable to speak of, it was his selfishness and immaturity, the need for him to grow up. The people of Israel may remember him as a victorious leader. Listen to this. The people of Israel may remember Jephthah as a victorious leader in the Hall of Fame, but how did his daughter remember him? How did his daughter, that first circle, how did she remember him? As we close, this makes us think when we read in the Scripture that it was his one and only daughter, it makes us think of God's one and only son. When God gave of himself, and when God sent his son to die a sacrificial death, y'all listen, he did not do so recklessly. He did not do so selfishly. God gave of himself intentionally and selflessly so that we might be saved and get the forgiveness that God is providing for us today that still stands as Jesus is alive. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 18, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want and to take it up again 
for this is what my Father has commanded. Amen? Now, we've talked about a lot of things in here today, with and without. And God's Spirit presides over us to be with us, inside of us, so that we will be with the power that we need to overcome sin and the world and be a witness faithfully for Him. When we find ourselves without, it is large in part because we are focused on ourselves, on our personal mission, rather than our relational ones. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. We'd invite you on this Father's Day to join our church. Dads, I would invite you to come and meet with somebody who can help you think through the things that are going on in your life. That can help you think through the decisions that need to be made. Today is the day to, to be the example for others. If you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, just like the child that we saw before, serious faith, serious repentance. It's a simple concept. Lord Jesus, we thank you, O oh God, for how you have made a way for us to be forgiven. Lord, we've seen a, a very bizarre and even difficult passage today. But it challenges, Lord. It challenges us to learn about the Lord our God. And Lord, that we would have a missional heart. But God, ministry works best out of the context of relationships so that we would have a relational heart for people that you have created and desire to redeem. Lord, work all of this out that we've learned and listened to today in our heart. We pray, O oh God, that as we stand and we begin to consider our own heart and as we think about worship before you, we ask, O oh God, that you would continue to work in our hearts as we leave from here so that we would be your representatives for your glory on this earth. And we love you and we thank you, O oh Lord, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This altar is open for you. Our decision counselors are here for you. We would love to meet and help you today.